I'm so pleased to have you on, Drew. Drew is a friend of mine. He's an actor. He's a screenwriter. And I'll let you give yourself a little bit more of an introduction. Yeah, so briefly, I, I've only been acting for just over two years. My background is actually in uh, professional sports and uh, the sciences. So um, I sort of fell into it serendipitously a couple of years ago with a couple of really cool opportunities that um, I was able to get my feet wet you know, very, very quickly. Um, and then through that process, um, developed a love for screenwriting uh, and I started directing uh, films and commercials uh, in New York as well. So I'm relatively new, but uh, I've been, uh, you know, a, a sponge for it and certainly have enjoyed my, uh, you know, every project that I've worked on so far. Nice, nice. And uh, maybe you'd like to talk a little bit about the sorts of projects and the sorts of films that you've been working on lately. Sure. Um, so I filmed a couple of independent films last year. Um, two are supposed to come out sometime soon. Um, uh, that, but you know, obviously with this, who, who knows uh, when and, uh, and if they will in, in any, any near term, um, because I think it's affecting post-production quite, quite a lot. Um, um, you know, I, I haven't, um, I haven't, uh, probably acted in anything a lot of you guys have seen. So, you know, I do some history channel stuff and, uh, a lot of independent films some like discovery channel TV shows. Um, the coolest project I've probably ever worked on, and Jeff knows this, uh, is I also do some body double work for Chris Evans. So a lot of the TV shows, commercials, uh, films that he's in, um, I'm on set and, um, you know, uh, acting um, as a stand-in or acting as a body double when his face isn't needed on camera. So if you've seen Knives Out, um, you've, you've seen, I, I worked on that film, uh, for example. Which, um, actually, well that's movie. next on my list, man. Um, I definitely have to watch that movie. You haven't seen it? I haven't seen it yet, but um, I'm about to in the next few days, for sure. That's maybe even later cool. today. Cool, cool. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a good watch. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, it, Ryan did a great job. writing. Um, I've written uh, two feature films um, and two short films. Um, I've uh, directed a bunch of uh, commercials. I actually just finished a feature film um, that I'm starting to sort of shop around. It's uh, the biggest budget feature film that uh, I've written so far, um, far above any budget that I will probably have the ability to self-raise funds for. So it's going to be an interesting process to try to go out and you know, create a package on a, on a true Hollywood scale over the next couple of years. But I'm excited to take that on. And um, I'm really, really passionate about the film. I think it's very, um, you know, it, it has contemporary relevance for what we're going uh, through right now. It's based on a, a apocalyptic uh, Kurt Vonnegut novel from the 1980s. So it's very, um, you know, eerily similar to some of the things that we're facing as a society today. Yeah. Um, sorry, I was just adjusting a setting, Drew, because I guess somebody was having a connection problem, so I was trying to see if, if I could help out sorry. for a second. Um, but yeah, man, I know I know when me and you have sat down and talked and you, you told me some really cool stories from Knives Out and 
working with Ryan Johnson and I've been, he's a director yeah. that is super interesting and I've been following his career for a long time since he did brick, which premiered at Sundance over 10 years ago, probably like, I guess 15 years ago at this point, it was like 2008. Yeah. Yeah. 12 yeah. years ago, you know, but great movie. And, you know, then he did the brothers bloom, which I loved, you know, uh, yeah. with Mark Ruffalo and Adrian Brody. Yeah. So it's a, so I was really happy to hear because he's a director that I really admire. So I was really happy to hear that you had a positive experience with him on on Knives Out, and and also you told me that you met you know you were working with Jamie Lee Curtis and and she was really cool. Yeah. And, yeah. So. Yeah. So that's that's pretty amazing. It was it was a cool experience. You know, I I, um, I fortunately or unfortunately, however way you look at it, uh, in my previous sort of walk to life, I had you know, had the opportunity to be around, you know, people who are considered celebrities, right? I worked in professional soccer for a long time. And um, even my, my PhD advisor um, at University of Washington was a Nobel laureate. And it's, it's always interesting to see how people carry themselves when they get that sort of, um, you know, notoriety, but also opportunity, right? Because you talked about some of Ryan Johnson's films and, um, I found that a lot of a lot of stuff he wanted to talk about on set were actually films that he did when he was in like high school or college, and how he and some of the people he's still working with, Steve Yedlin, um, for example, you know, he, who forced a camera for him and you know designed everything for him and in all of his bigger films, um, he's been working for a long time. Um, so a lot of those stories were that's his DP, um, I'm guessing, you know, or. What's that? Was that? Is that his DP, his cinematographer? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. Yeah, yeah, they've yeah. been collaborating forever uh, and ever. But he's a super humble guy. Yeah, super humble guy. Um, and he will, uh, you know, he will, he's very open. You know, I, I, I realized, even though I was pretty low on the totem pole, that um, you could have, you very easily have a conversation with him about anything. At the end of the day, you know, we're all uh, in love with this, uh, medium film, um, and he's happy to share information. This this film that I just finished writing, Galapagos, uh, was actually about a year and a half project, and uh, the three months that I spent on set, I doubt um, every time I had you know a down minute, I was uh, I was working on it, um, and uh, there were many conversations with uh, a lot of people, including Ryan, um, about about. Uh, the writing of that film, which, you know, I feel very fortunate to not only have, have the experience to be working on a, a project like that while I'm trying to write this, um, you know, this big project that I'm passionate about, but the fact that these people around me um, who, you know, have very big reputations and very big jobs and are on a set where they have lots of responsibilities were, uh, you know, willing to share their thoughts and, and input and show an interest in, in what I was doing as well. So that was a great experience. That's amazing, man. Uh, so we're going to jump straight into some questions from some of the Film Connection students, um, both the current and some past students that sent some questions. And um, the first question is from, from Victor, who's an essential worker. So he's not on the line tonight because he's out working, but... You'll be listening to the audio tomorrow. Victor's question is, what are you most passionate about as far as 
the filmmaking field and what do you enjoy most about it? I guess what do you what do you enjoy most about, you know, acting or just being involved in this field of film in general? Yeah. It's a great question. Um, I, I was talking to a, a, a good friend of mine on the phone today. Um, his wife works in a hospital in Westchester. Uh, That's she where works I live. in the um, yeah uh, pediatric division of a hospital. I'm not sure which hospital it is, but uh, she was sort of in the background, and he had me a speaker, and they were talking about her experience in the hospital and. And at one point I asked, I said, you know, why? You know, it, it is hard to go into work because of the risk that you're putting yourself at. And she said, absolutely not. What's hard is um, not feeling like we can't do as good a job as we want to do because of the resources we're being given. Um, and it really made me think about, uh, made me reflect on that, this question of why we do what we do and why we love what we do. Uh, and why we choose what we do, because arguably I could say that the the job that she is doing um, is far more important than me writing a film or me acting in a movie or you know, something like that. But I think at the end of the day, and, and I've been uh, blessed to do a lot of different things for work in my life, but what really uh, made me gravitate towards filmmaking was this idea of the, the influence um, and strength and power that uh, film can have. Uh, and theater can have the same thing, and a novel can have the same thing, and a podcast can have the same thing. But for me, it's the empathy that I feel towards characters when I see them on screen that I've always been drawn to. Um, even long before I had a, knew I had an interest in doing acting or filmmaking as a profession, I was always, my favorite thing to do was sort of movies. Um, and I didn't really put two and two together, but I would always walk out of the theater with some with an opinion on, um, you know, what the director did, what good acting, bad acting, just simple sort of gut feelings about how that medium made me feel. And they were so much stronger than um, a lot of, other experiences that one might have in their life. Um, and for other people, you know, those experiences could be more um, moving. But film has always done that for me, far more than even TV or um, you know, some of the other traditional entertainment uh, mediums. So when I got involved as an actor, I, I saw it as an opportunity to explore, to use my life experiences and explore them through characters. And I'm a believer of uh, Meisner School of Acting. It's what works for me. Yeah, it's a great um, school. No, uh, it's a it's a great school. I've 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 found I've worked with a lot of talented actors that have been trained Meisner. And at some point, yeah. when I was uh, really first getting involved in casting actors, uh, somebody that was involved in casting, she was a casting director. She was like, "Hey, do you notice that you cast a lot of Meisner actors?" I'm like, "I never no knew that." It just, I guess it just you know. That's who I happen to pick. I guess that's who really shines in the auditions, you know. So, yeah, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Um, auditioning is a whole other topic, you know. And I think in a lot of ways, I view auditioning as 
separate to what happens on, on set for an actor. But I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense because some of the core tenets behind Meisner is the idea of improvisation, but improvising, um, you know, based reality, like really living within that, in that character such that you can um, improvise off the page, improvise without words, and just behavior in a very natural sense because you really are behaving truthfully and the only thing false about the circumstance is that, you know, you're living in this, you know, you're on a set, you're not probably really in, in a home or, you know, you're, you're confined to some restrictions based on the script. Um, so to me, that's what my is all about, but it, it really uh, <clears throat> harkens back to what I found interesting about acting as a consumer, and that is the empathy that you feel for characters when you watch them. I think the the best works of film um, have, you know, actors and characters that you really find yourself experiencing what they're going through in the film as a, as a viewer. And that's not an easy thing to do as an actor or a director or a cinematographer, but that's what, uh, you know, I certainly aspire to anytime I'm either acting or directing or thinking about writing something is um, you know, giving on, on a page, giving the director and the actors all the tools to build this world that will allow them to go, then go and experiment and play with it and make it their own without telling them how to behave, um, you know, in any scene or in any beat. So um, yeah. that's what gets me jazzed about doing this work. I, I feel like when you do those things well, you can have a really almost cathartic impact on a viewer, which is far more, it's, it's about a lot more than just entertaining. Yeah, that well said. These next questions uh, are actually, there's two questions from Courtney who's on the line and I'm going to ask both of them because they're both sort of tied in to each other. So Courtney's asking, what is the hardest part about landing jobs and what's the best way to look for jobs? So very pertinent question, especially in today's landscape. Jobs as, a, as an actor or as a screenwriter, as a director? As, or, as an actor, or, specifically, I would say. Okay. But it's up to actually Courtney. Yeah, yeah Courtney is there on the line, so yeah. Um, great question. And I feel like uh, you, you probably already know my answer to this because I sort of just alluded to it. The audition process is crazy as an actor. Um. <clears throat> When I first started acting, I remember one of the first workshops I took in New York City. You know, you sit down in in one-on-one studios, which is a studio in New York that you know a lot of casting directors and acting coaches go to. And yeah, it's a great, it's a good studio. I've actually taught, I've taught some workshops there. I've been asked to like be like a teacher for a couple of the workshops there, and I've had great experiences there. Yeah, I mean, they really get a lot of really good people and they have a lot of great actors it's a good it's a great environment um and i remember one of the first workshops i ever took there um casting director walks in the room and then you know the 15 of us are sitting in the chairs sort of hoping that we're going to learn something that's going to change our our lives um because you're always looking for that you know little bit of something that they tell you that that you can um, internalize and and then bring it to your next audition, which is going to just sort of push your performance over the edge. 
um, and, and sat, she sat down and she pointed to the chair in front of the camera. She said, you see that chair? And I, I never did. Yeah. The chair. She said, the whole secret is figuring out a way to enjoy being in that chair 100% of the time. Because you have to realize about the audition process of an actor is 93, I forget the actual number she gave, it wasn't hard math, obviously, but 90 plus percent of the time, as soon as you walk in that room, before you ever sit in that chair, they know whether or not you have, you know, a chance to get that part just based on um, all these things that you can't control. And there's nothing you can do about that. So to me, and this is something that, I'll be honest with you, it's not, I don't feel like I have all the answers. I don't feel like every audition I walk into, I enjoy it. I don't feel like every audition I walk into, I nail it. But every time I am working on prepping an audition, I try to remind myself, not only, you know, all the things you need to do to prepare for that part. I think a lot of actors are really, really good. Actors are, are, are smart people because naturally they're curious about other people and behavior. And they have what I call thin skin. You know, have you ever noticed some of the best actors can give you something um, when they're given just the smallest little flame of a behavior or emotion that it just affects them so strongly and they can modulate that? I call it being thin skin. Yeah. Um, so actors have so much skill. Good actors have so much skill, right? Um, I would put Mark Ruffalo in that category. For He's sure. fantastic. Uh, um, I would put Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know, in that category. Just talking about a couple of Ryan Johnson guys. Yeah. But uh, the piece that nobody can teach you is how you how to for yourself enjoy being in that seat, and that goes back to I think why you're why you're doing what you're doing. Because if you can honestly just enjoy being in that seat, regardless of the outcome, and realize that. A lot of the time, it has nothing to do with your performance, whether or not you gave a good read or whether or not you gave a good audition. It has to do with completely, you know, other things. Then you're enjoying the process. You're enjoying the process of what it means to be an actor. So to me, that's the hardest part because we all want to be successful. And there are so many, so many talented actors out there that, you know, won't reach the success of some of the actors that we've talked about simply because it's a, it's a really, you know, narrow bottleneck uh, of people who are getting yeah. those opportunities at that level. But if you can find a way to enjoy it, then you take what's hard about being in that situation almost out of the equation and it feels good um, regardless of the outcome. So. Yeah, great points, Drew. And I just want to add to Courtney's point because I have a lot of friends uh, that are actors um, and Sometimes I'll ask them, I'll say, hey, how's it going? Are you, you know, are you getting parts and how, how are things going? They're like, no, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, well, have you been going on auditions? They're like, no, no, I, you know, I, I have to get a new headshot and I'm waiting for my new headshot so I could go on auditions. And I always tell them like, well, don't wait for your new headshot. Just get a photo of yourself that looks like a, like you and staple it onto the back of a resume and go out on auditions and try to get stuff. And, yeah. And I'm, and that's just an example for 
people in all sorts of fields, whether it's acting, whether it's directing. Sometimes we put obstacles in our own way when we have to focus on the fundamentals. And one of the fundamentals to add to Drew's point is absolutely going on auditions, like is going on as many auditions as possible, especially when you're starting out um, is is so crucial to, you know, kind of get in the game. Honestly, just to, just to add to that one, because I, I totally think that you're right. I have a lot of friends who say the same thing. You know, I, I don't want to call it making excuses because it's not that they don't want to put themselves out there. It's almost subconscious. Feel, it's almost like a subconscious yeah. obstacle that they put in their own way. Yeah. I think. And they feel like it has to be perfect. Everything has right. to be aligned and perfect before they put themselves out there. Uh, I had two experiences recently where I um, met with some friends or one time I uh, was taking a workshop um, with an agent that I was sort of interested in meeting. Um, and I met some new people in both of those situations. And I, in both cases, um, there was an actor in both groups who either directly to me or in a group conversation sort of said the same thing, you know, well, I'm not really auditioning because I don't have an agent yet and my head charms aren't good enough. And, I mean, you know, I'm still working on my website, so I haven't like set my reel out there at all. And you know, I I, I didn't know these people all that well, so I wasn't um, maybe as forthcoming with the, the advice that you just gave. Yeah, but I tried to be encouraging. Um, and it's funny, it was crazy because the next week um, I heard from one of them on Facebook. He just looked me up on Facebook, and. Um, yeah, he sent me a message and said, hey, I, I just booked a part on History Channel. I'm playing Carl Benz uh, of, like, Mercedes-Benz fame in an upcoming doc series. I'm like, that's fantastic. How did you know? So I asked him, like, how did you get it? He's like, I just submitted myself. And they called me in, and I didn't even have, need to have an agent. And I was like, that's awesome, right? And then a month later, I'm watching, I don't know if anybody's seen the new um, Al Pacino series, Hunters, on Amazon. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I saw but, the first episode. Uh, yeah, so uh, um, there's a there's this younger kid that I took a workshop with, and I was really impressed with his work. So you know, I had a chat with him um, after the workshop, and and um, he relayed some of the same things. You know, like oh, that means you know, means so much. I'm glad you liked it. He was very sort of shy about his almost his own abilities, and he said some of the same things about. You know, not having all the ducks in a row. And, and I was like, dude, you're ready. Just get out there. Just audition. And I think in episode two or three, he's got a great little, you know, co-starring spot in what, and he kills the scene that he, he you know, does uh, with the lead actor. Uh, I was just watching Hunters, and I'm like, there you are. See, told you. It can happen. Nice. So it's That's like, awesome. it's a number to you, but, you know, you just put yourself out there because yes. you, you never know what's going to happen, right? Yeah, you never exactly. Know. Yeah, and I'm a believer that, you know, some people talk about luck, but I, I'm a believer that you have to make your own luck because it's it's no one's going to call you. No one's going to, if I just sit at home, uh, no one's going to call me on the phone and be like, hey, Zeph, could you come and direct this movie for us? Like, I'm, I'm not at that level, so I have to grind and we have to do everything that we can and and the this time with this whole crisis that's going on with the coronavirus it's it's kind of a time to sort of reset and kind of think about what's important and 
for so sort of for all of us, meaning that, you know, a lot of people I've been talking to, a lot of friends of mine and some people that are really bummed out about it. I'm like, you know what? Don't don't dwell on what's outside of your control. Cause there's so much in life that's outside of our control. We could focus on those things and we could be really depressed about those things. And I could be too if I focus on those things. But I think it's important to choose what's within our control and just focus on what we could actually do, you know? And I think that's, you know, that's something that I think is really important, you know? Yeah. I, I, the, the creative industry, I mean, I, I think you can assess this too. Like, it has not gone on its week. I mean, I, um, you know, I've got two auditions tomorrow, uh, that I'm going to sell tape for. Amazing. Um, Amazing. But they are, they're up and running and they're prepping for whenever this ends. And I will tell you, um, it's funny because I've been doing a lot of writing and a lot of reading. Um, but, but it almost feels more competitive and energizing because everybody is doing more writing and everybody yeah, is true. doing more reading. Yeah. Including myself. It, I've been doing a lot just, of writing in particular myself. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, that feels, it feels competitive in, in a way, to be honest with you. It feels like, well, you know, like this is not a time to, to relax and, you know, just binge watch TV and, and, you know, whatever. It's a time to repurpose yourself and say, you know what, like I've got some time now more than I would, right? So I'm going to use that in, in some sort of productive way. And it doesn't have to be working on your self-tape game or writing a screenplay or, whatever it can be you know i i transcribed a couple of uh, episodes of ozark because i just thought it was like you know crazy that jason bateman could do such a great job at directing and acting in these uh in these uh episodes and there was one in particular that i really wanted to steal some of the concepts of the scene structure for a part of my movie so i wanted to see what that looked like uh, in an actual script structure, which was a lot of fun. So just that's just that's cool stuff that you can that's do. so amazing that you're mentioning this, Drew, because I just had uh, my friend Bobby Peretti, who's a screenwriter and uh, my co-writer in my next feature film, Sustenance, and he was on the cast on Monday, and he was literally giving that as advice to younger screenwriters that are starting out. He's like, "Hey, you know," um, I he was like, "You could always try as an exercise, like." trying to write out the screenplay of a, a show watching a tv show and writing it as if you're writing the screenplay and what you think might the action description might be and so for you to talk yeah. about that uh, about ozark is literally something we were just talking about the other day yeah i just did it i actually started doing it um the parasite today too i got the parasite script nice. i'm doing it a little bit different but it's hugely beneficial and it's it's encouraging because um, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I, it's, it's, screenwriting is a really, really fun thing to do. And it will, whether you're an actor or a director or whatever you want to do within the industry, I've gotten a lot, my acting has improved since I started writing, um, and since I started directing. And it's just really enjoyable. I would highly, uh, it's super simple to do. You know, you need to let know like three rules to be able to do it. It's super simple and it's a lot of fun. So I agree. Totally. I encourage everybody to do it. All right. So our next question is from Damien, who's on the line. Shout out to Damien. Uh, what is a role that you haven't played but would like to go back in time and play and why? 
so like a movie, a, a role in a movie that I would, if I could have gone back in time, I would like to play. Um, great question. I'm not the type of person who thinks about that because I will put myself down a dark hole and go, oh, why didn't I do that? Um, um, well, maybe let me, let me spin Damien's question around. What, what's a type of role that you would love to maybe, what if it, what if it's a franchise role that's like already existing or like, you know, like, like, like James Bond or something. That's like an example or, or a type of role that you'd be like, Oh, I would love to play that. Or, if, you know, let's say they did a reboot, right? They're like, yeah. you know, they're doing a back to the future yeah. reboot. I want to play Marty McFly. I'm just giving like an example, but you know, it's like, <laughs> If you're going to do a Back to the Future reboot, I would definitely learn to skateboard because <laughs> when I was a kid, I had the whole Michael J. Fox outfit from that. Nice. The only thing I couldn't do was, was skateboard. So <laughs> I might I might have to apply for that. Um, I, I gravitate more towards um, indie film role. Um, a lot of the stuff that I get called in for is, you know, like, sort of like a, you know, it ranges from anywhere from like, fraternity brother to guy next door type of thing. Um, a lot of like Chris Evans type of roles to like Paul Rudd type of roles. Um, that's sort of where people see me. But what I'm interested in, to be honest with you, is playing villains. Um, not sort of like in a superhero way, but people who have real problems that are also real, real people, right? Um, you know, I, I'm interested in things like mental health and upbringing and education. Um, uh, so I, I really gravitate towards those. But the, so part of the reason why it's hard for me to, to answer that question is because those characters don't necessarily look like, you know, there's, there's not a lot of similar threads in what they, quote unquote, look like. But even if you look at movies like Google Hunting, right, I would bend over backwards to be, even to have the opportunity to audition for a role like, like Matt Damon, you know, had in that film. Yeah, it was a great film. One, because, great film. Um, great everything about that. About that. Um, but the role itself is such a dynamic and vulnerable role, and he, he kills it, right? And he kills it at a relatively young uh, period in his career, um, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, and it would have been a super, super challenging thing to do. Um, and I love those. I love those type of those type of opportunities. Now, you know, would I get a role like that? Probably not. But I would love the opportunity to audition for for something like that. And there are a lot of great independent films um, being made like that today. And those are the type of films that I like to think. You know, I gravitate towards writing as well. Once that speak to seen vice yet that's another one that i got to put on my list but i mean he could just tackle any role it goes to show you you know just to see him physically transform like that um the machinist is also one of it's a it's a great film for those of those of you that haven't seen the movie the machinist just what he did in that role is 
every role he's played, really. Um, so this next question is from Michael. Are there differences in the way that actors prepare to perform on television series versus a feature film? Yeah, um, for sure. So obviously, so I, I've, I've had um, the opportunity to work on a lot of indie films, both in you know, sort of starring and supporting roles, um, and those will typically film you know, anywhere from the shortest one I, I did where I had a, a, you know, a bigger role. I had like five to seven filming days. And then the, you know, the biggest projects I've worked on, the biggest projects I've acted on probably had about 30 filming days spread out over two to three months. Um, and obviously, you know, working with Chris in a movie like Five Out, you're working every day for three months. Um, so that's different. Then when you're when you're put on a series and you film over sometimes sometimes a longer period, but then obviously you know depending on how many seasons that series is booked out for, um, whether or not you're filming multiple seasons in one spot of time, or whether or not you're coming back year over year, uh, a lot of the times you'll film a TV series uh, that you know is going to have a second season. Um, but you don't know what the script or the storyline of that second season is when you're filming the, the first season of the, of the television show. So the way you work and prepare as an actor uh, will will vary quite a bit. And not to belabor the point, but I'll I'll give you uh, one example of what that might look like for a film or, or how I how I would prepare for a, for a film. So say you're shooting a movie over a month period of time. And in that month, you have uh, maybe you have 17 shoot days. Just I'm just throwing numbers out there. Um, and you get the the breakdown of you know shooting schedule, what you what production thinks it's going to look like. Meaning when you walk on set day one, um, we're planning on shooting you know these three scenes, and on day two you're shooting these you know these three scenes, and on day three you're you know not shooting at all, and then day four and five, and you get sort of this idea. Um, and what I tend to do is I map out my story arc as a character um, for as long a period of time as I know, right? Um, and obviously that is a linear, uh, you know, it's a linear trajectory because I'm going through the script from scene one to scene 144. And I'll put it on a big piece of paper uh, so that and I will link them with, you know, perspectives, basically. Because a lot of times, you know, you might film a, a scene in a movie or in a TV series, um, and then the next scene that you film, um, you know, when, when I was playing Edsel Ford in the History Channel series, for example, you know, I would film one scene and I would be 27 years old, um, you know, a puppy with its tail between its legs, just given the Ford Automotive Company on a silver platter, um, not knowing what I'm you know, going to do and, and feeling what I think I need to vomit the first time that I go on for a television interview. And then the next scene in the, the series is I'm 35 and I am, uh, you know, working on my seventh car design and, you know, they've aged you and it's, um, you're in a completely different headspace. And that's a drastic experience that you typically won't have in 
in a film because films typically for a character obviously isn't always the case. Um, look at the Irishman, um, lots of films, but typically most of the films that I've worked on, you know, you're, the scenes are happening much closer together in real time in the life of the character. But what isn't necessarily true and almost never happens uh, is those scenes will be fully filmed in, you know, order. Uh, they will be shot in order. They're never shot in order. You know, day one you walk on and you might be filming something towards the end or something, um, you know, right into the magical midpoint where your character has to make a decision to go down this path or go down this path uh, and you choose a path and the next day you come to set and you're it's before the catalyst of the film and, you know, you're a completely different person um, who hasn't even thought about this, this turning point in their lives happening yet, but you're filming them out of order. So how do you as an actor, you know, create this performance, whether it be in a television series over a long period of time, or in a movie, which could be a shorter period of time in the life of that character, and, and connect all those dots. And the way that I do it um, from a preparation standpoint is I map everything out, and I think about the things that happened in between those scenes from a sort of life of the character's perspective, so that, and it's something I'll typically carry in my script on set with me, so that when I'm getting ready, I'm going from one scene to the next. I can always check in with something that tells me where I'm coming from exactly in my life. It is typically not where I'm coming from exactly on my, you know, on set. I could be jumping 10 years or a completely different, uh, coming from completely different life experiences. So that, that cheat sheet will tell me where I'm coming from right before that scene. And basically I'm able to retrace everything that's happened in my character's life leading up to that, that scene that might influence my behavior in that scene. So again, I can behave as truthfully as possible, almost forgetting anything that I've already taped that happens later in the movie and being able to focus on the things that I know have happened in that character's life, even if I haven't filmed them in the, in the movie yet. Does that make sense? That makes perfect all? sense. It's given you, uh, your preparation gives you a frame of reference for the headspace that your character is supposed to inhabit in that moment. Does that sound accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 100%, 100%. It's something that you want to be. So I, I don't know how many actors we have, you know, in, in the group tonight. Um, so I apologize if I'm being like pedantic. Um, but it's when I first started acting, it wasn't something that I logically realized the value of. And I remember being on set in my first like short film, right? Like it was an Emerson College short film where I was playing this boxer and they were making me picking me up with all this like, you know, two hours of makeup on my face to make it look like I just got the shit beat out of me. Um, and I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. You know, I got to train in this like Southie gym where um, where Marky Mark trained for the fighter. You know, and I, I had an Olympic boxing coach for two months and, like, taught me how to actually box. And I just thought this was the coolest thing being on set, right? And, but when I actually got set and had to work, I realized the value of being able to connect those dots, but I hadn't done a lot of the work. 
to make it super easy for me to do that in a in a world which is hectic and your emotions are high and you're excited and you're feeling all these things that you don't feel when you're in your apartment or in the rehearsal studio. Um, being on set is different. So for me, having this cheat sheet and doing all that preparation just allows me to check in with that such that, you know, when things get tough or hard or hectic or weird on set, I don't have to rely on um, myself remembering everything and yeah. thinking everything. I you're, not winging, you're not winging it. You, you're sort of anchored in. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned this because I had an AD on last night, uh, Lena Lansky, and we were just talking on the cast about just the importance of preparation as a filmmaker in general, just to make sure that, you know, prep, just how important preparation is um, in general for directing, but to hear you also talking about it from the acting perspective and on the camera and the level of preparation that you do you know, behind the scenes before you're actually on camera. It's, 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 it's awesome to hear about. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So actually one of the things that you were talking about earlier about, uh, the, you mentioned the Irishman, this sort of goes into our next question from Damien and he, he's asking, do you feel that the advancements in de-aging CGI are good or bad for the industry? Tough one. Um, yeah. You know, I have a lot of I have a lot of family members who told me, and I preface this by saying family members um, who told me that I look enough like the Nero that if they hadn't used their technology, maybe I would have gotten a little spot in that in that film. Maybe I, I don't know. It might just be the the birthmarks or whatever um, on this side right there. Um, but no, I, it, it's a tough one for me because. I'm not going to sit here and shit on Robert De Niro, right? Like, I'm not going to do that. I, know you I mean, love yeah. Robert De Niro. He's, yeah. he's such an icon, and he's done so many amazing things. You have a taxi driver poster right above your head, right? I um, do, yes. That yeah. movie... It's a game changer. I mean, that movie, not only, that movie not only for me as an actor is inspirational, but Jeff, you and I have talked about Paul Schrader, Paul Schrader. and the influence. I'm trying to get him on the cast, man. I got to get him on film scene. Yeah. I've been emailing him, so you know maybe now he'll crack and finally do it. Really? <laughs> yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. And I would, uh, I would find a way to be in the room if you ever had that. <laughs> yeah. He's Absolutely. Incredible. But anyway, you know, I mean, I think um, it's it's a tough question for me to, to answer because as an actor, I want opportunities. Right, and that technology arguably takes away opportunities from other actors. But also, as an actor and as somebody, you have to understand the business of film. It would be stupid for anybody to say, "I want to be a filmmaker and believe in themselves as an artist," um, and not understand the business of filmmaking. And part of the business well of said. filmmaking is yes. the way that movies get made. Uh, you know, at that level, um, there needs to be actors who are attached to it. And and the, the honest truth is, the movie Irishman never would have happened without De Niro. He was he was integral in you know it's like a ten plus year process 
um, in, in, in seeing that get done. And he does a fantastic job. Um, my, my issues with that technology are that, you know, there are certain things, um, that it can't do from a performance perspective. Some of the physicality of movement that it can't, at least right now, do. And I think so sometimes I think it does hurt performance. Um, is that Robert De Niro's fault? No, uh, of course not. Do I understand completely why a studio would want to have that in their tool chest to be able to make a film like that? Yes, absolutely. Part, this part of me go, that sucks for all the awesome other people who could have played that role. Yeah. So I'm really torn. But just to end that, uh, my answer on a really positive note, I would say that one of my favorite performances of the year was Joe Pesci. Yes. And the, the idea that I wouldn't have gotten to see him in that role without that technology, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm willing to. Yeah, I'm on board to too, man. Good. That's such a great point because, yeah, it's I'm so happy they convinced Joe Pesci. And I know they had to do a lot of convincing to get him on board because he yeah. he had retired from acting. And it it was an yeah. un, understated performance in, in the best way possible. And I just think it was yeah. there's so much nuances to what he brought to that character that Absolutely. I thought were, were amazing. Uh, we had a great conversation with Kent Jones about it, who's a good friend of Scorsese and collaborator with Scorsese. We talked about it on the film scene podcast yeah. and, you know, we were, we, we went down the rabbit hole on the Irishman. Um, yeah. I, I think it's an interesting question though, because, you know, as a filmmaker outside of being an actor, as a filmmaker, I think there's tons of positives to having that as part of your, you know, your repertoire, things that you can do within, within the medium. So, Overall, you know, I am not adherent to any technological technological advances within the film industry. I think that we need to push the envelope as much as possible. I think because I'm an actor, it 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 you know it, it, I'm torn a little bit about it. But at the end of the day, maybe that just makes things more competitive. And I am also a firm believer that anything that makes anything more competitive. The cream's gonna rise to the to the top as long as we are also mitigating that with equal opportunity and fair and fair chance. Right? Absolutely. Because if you give everybody the opportunity to audition or compete for something, and the best um, wins out within a limited amount of opportunity, then you know you're going to have fantastic products. So my answer sort of stands somewhere in between that. And I'm not absolutely sure, but I can definitely see both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Victor is asking, as an actor, have you ever had to work with a difficult director and how did you handle that situation? Um, I was just reading the note about uh, someone not liking the film Looper. I want to talk about that afterwards <laughs> yeah. to get a chance. But um, um, working with a difficult director Yes, um, uh, I uh, I did some theater, you know, black box um, experimental stuff when I first moved to New York, um, and I had an experience working with. I guess in that in that instance, it wasn't actually the director, but um, one of the creatives um, who was involved in the story and writing was 
super involved on a day-to-day basis in, in rehearsal and um, acting really micromanaging the director, which, you know, I think creates some issues in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was probably, as an actor, I think that was probably the most difficult experience that I had working with someone because... Um, do you think and do you think he was micromanaging because of insecurities that he had, or do you think he was micromanaging because he was just such a control freak? Uh, like I'm, I just want to unpack the microman. I'm not the micromanaging type. Yeah. I mean, there might be specific things that I don't like, and I'm sometimes I could be specific about what I don't like because I've been taught to to do that. You know, be vague yeah. about what you like and specific about what you don't like. You know, yeah. So. Um, I don't know. And so let me just, let me just clarify. My, uh, my buddy has this person had nothing to do with them micromanaging me as an actor. Uh, they actually micromanaged the director who I think did in this project did a fantastic job gotcha. doing what I see as the role of a, of a director. And, and the role of the director in you know, the theater is obviously very different from the role of the director in film. Um, you know, I haven't had an experience with that I would even say gets close to a bad experience with the director in film. So this is the only thing I'm gravitating towards. But to answer your question, I think the reason that this person, and I don't know this person, right? And like, you know, I, I mean, who knows why? Um, but the, the director might not even, even have looked at that experience as being micromanaged for all that I know. Maybe they are best friends from, you know, high school and they just work together that way. Who knows? I don't know. But um, if I were to read between the lines and think also as a writer and a director, um, sometimes it's difficult to separate yourself, um, especially when you're a writer and you hand somebody else something that you have a very clear vision for, right? You see it in your head and then trust the process that you're going to give this to them and they're going to do their thing with it. And it might look significantly or drastically different than what you, you know, the vision that you had in your head. And that is just part of being an artist in the world that we live in, right? Unless you write and direct everything that you produce, um, which, you know, you can, right? You're not going to have that creative control. But they are also completely different skill sets in a lot of ways. And I think that when you're working as a writer and you, and you, you know, either team up or bring a director onto your project, then you're bringing somebody on that you really believe in and you really trust. And part of that is the excitement of giving them something that you've created and letting them make it their own to a certain degree, right? So if I were to guess in this instance, I think that this person just had, and I can empathize with this, right? Um, just had a, a very strong vision and idea, uh, felt very closely to the, to the source material, as it were, and they wanted to see it portrayed in a certain way, which probably made them feel, you know, unconsciously in some cases, like they needed to, be there and just remind the to director of what control. we should be doing yeah. this way here. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is a, is a natural thing to do as, as an artist. Yeah. But it true. doesn't, 
it doesn't, it doesn't help your work. Your right, right. Exactly. Because it's such, it's a collaborative medium, you know, whether it's theater or filmmaking yeah. or, you know, so, um, yeah. to some extent, it like, has to for be. Example, that you and I were talking about maybe shooting a little something just fun, right? Where I wrote it and, and maybe acted in it and, yeah. and you directed it, right? A couple of weeks ago, right? Yes. See, right? Totally. And, and when we first talked about it, you said to me, well, would you want to direct this? And I never even thought about directing it. I don't know if you remember this. So I do office, remember. And I yeah. paused for a second. Yeah. I paused for a second and I, and I thought to myself, do I want to direct that? No, I don't want to direct that because the whole the whole premise of us working together was that I would write something and and you would direct it and that would allow me to act in it as well. But just the question of you asking me, like, would you want to direct it or would I direct it, made me think, it was like a subconscious thing. It was like, oh, I did write this, so maybe I do want to direct that. And I had to remind myself, like, no, 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 no. Part of this is, like, giving giving something that you wrote to somebody that you admire and you want to see what they would do with it. And you also want to work with that person on a different level as an actor and, you know, them as a director, you as an actor. But I think that there's something very almost human about that attachment that when you create something that you, you know, there's something human about wanting to micromanage it. Yes. It's it's so true. It's so true, man. It it definitely, uh, it's hard it's hard to let go because I've, I've had that experience myself on, on a number of things and yeah. you, you have to find that groove of collaboration. And then sometimes you have to fight for the things that you believe in, but also relent on the things that maybe aren't as important, you know, and just kind of, um, you know, it's a game of push and pull. And then just at the end of the day, I, I'm a real big believer in taking your ego. I, I think I've learned how to do that over the years is taking your ego outside of the equation for what's going to yield for the best results, the, the best outcome of the project, you know? So to me, it doesn't matter yeah. if it was my idea or somebody else's idea. I care more about the outcome of what's going to be, what what's going to work for the project. You know, I think you have to have a lot of self-awareness as an artist in order to be able to do that, honestly, because part of what it means, to be an artist, I think, is that you're sort of always thinking creatively. You get energized about this. You want to bring ideas to the table, um, and you can get caught up in that. Um, so, being maybe it's called maybe you can call it being closely in tune with your ego and being able to check that at the door and being aware of how you feel about these different ideas in real time. I think that's really really important because otherwise, you know, it can it can hurt you in creative conversations for. One reason, maybe your ears aren't open to the other ideas that people in the group are sharing, uh, or maybe it's causing friction, like it could have been causing in the in the uh, example that I gave about the, the theater piece. So I totally, totally agree. Yeah. Well, I think this seems like a good point to open it up to the students uh, and the, the Film Connection alum. If you guys want to pop, pop on the chat now, open up your cameras, unmute yourselves and say hi to Drew, who's been so gracious to answer the questions. Michael, I see you there. Hey, Michael. Hey. How you guys doing? Pretty good. Hey, how are you? Courtney's on. Uh, I have a question. So John has Uh, a question. Fire away, John. uh, So what is, like, 
do you have like a process for each role or is that each role different? Like do you have like a, like a certain ritual that you do to get yourself like in into the in the in the zone? Uh, yeah, like if, if, like you have like a get your game face on or whatever, or is it like each role is different? Yeah, um each role is a little different. Um well I, I think that that's something that you need to you you sort of create over time as an actor. Um every actor probably has a little bit of a different process they go through when they're preparing for a role. And and that process is different when they're auditioning for a role and, and when they're, you know, preparing on set or preparing to get on set uh, to actually film a film role. Um so I have a pretty clear one that works well for me um now, but it's really been a work in progress and it took me the better part of two years to figure out and try different things and, and figure out what what works uh what works well for me. I think there are some like, you know, core tenets that obviously if you're going to audition a scene, you need to know, you know, simple things like what happens at the beginning of the scene, what happens at the middle of the scene, what happens at the end of the scene. And this is true for when you're writing a scene or when you're directing a scene or when you're acting a scene. Every scene, no matter how small it is, has a core conflict. It has a beginning, a middle, and the end. You have to know what happened before it. Um, you need to know what your objective is in that scene, and you have to know what the stakes are. And if you can like internalize that, such that when you flick on the camera for an audition or when they yell action, you know, on set, um, and you just you know those things without really having to think about them, then then you're in a good spot. So for me. I think De Niro does the same thing, actually, from what I've heard. Um, but for me, for an audition, what that looks like is a ton of notes on the script. Like, if you were to, you know, if, if I had a script right here that I was getting ready to audition on, you would not be able to see a lot of the actual script. Because I'll make, in pencil, uh, because I'm always changing ideas and, and, you know, playing with things, I'll make a ton of notes. And that's not because I want to go back and memorize that, but the way that I internalize things as a person is with some sort of physical activity. So, like, I have journals and journals and journals of just ideas that I, if I write them out, it helps me to think about them. It helps me to internalize them. And I do the same thing uh, as an actor. On set, um, it's completely different. All that work is already done. Um, I have my scripts, you know, which is sort of a cheat sheet to go back to if I need to. But I'm I'm really private. Like 30 minutes before shooting something, um, unless you want to be talked to as the character, and if that character is a fucking asshole who cares nothing about anything other than himself, which I just um, uh, filmed a, a, a little a little movie um, called Cold Read, where I played, played a casting director, and he is like a complete narcissist. Um, so 30 minutes before, and it was, you know, it's a little indie film, not a big budget, like I didn't have a trailer or anything. Um, but 30 minutes before we, I'm set to get, you know, in my first scene for the day, like I'm in character, right? Um, and typically if I can be, I'm in character and it's in a dark corner in my trailer or in some dressing room so that, so that I'm not affecting other people. But, um, if you want to talk to me before your all action on that first, uh, scene and it's within 30 minutes of shooting then you're going to talk to the character and if you know if that guy is not a nice guy then you know that sucks but that's yeah. the way it's going to be because I just don't like I, I want to be as truthful to that as possible and I and I don't think you can do that this is my personal experience 
as somebody who's been doing this for two years, right? Maybe if I've been doing this for 30 years, it would be different. But I don't feel like I can walk on set as true. Um, Touch-ups, action, and then all of a sudden, I'm something completely different. So that's, in a nutshell, what my audition and on-set process looks like. Nice. Kelly, uh, Kelly, did you want to chime in with a question? Because I guess you didn't, uh, weren't able to send anything in. Now I'm trying to put you on the spot. Anybody that wants to jump in, um, feel free to jump in for a question. Question. I want to, okay. I wanted to ask. I'm curious. Oh, or my going first. All right. I thought that I was looking at, um, your IMDb, uh, and I saw that you were on an investigation discovery episode, uh, and I'm not sure which episode it is. I'm wondering which episode it is. I I don't know the, the number of it, but the last one I did was Primal Instinct. It's um, the characters like Patrick Bradford, I think. Um, he was, it, it, these are all real stories, right? It was a, it was a, a cop in the 90s who brutally murdered his, um, his girl he was having an affair with uh, and then burned her house down. So um, a character that you probably wouldn't have wanted to talk to me within 30 minutes of, of filming. filming. <laughs> cool. That's cool. And I had a sweet mustache for that one, too. I, I remember that. That was real. That was real. <laughs> There you are, Damien. Damien, now you have to answer for Looper. You're talking smack about our boy, <laughs> about our uh, Drew's friend, Ryan Johnson. Yeah, Looper's fucking awesome. And listen, I, I, think, um, I think Looper was fine in a while. I just, uh, I just didn't think it was too, too memorable. But I did like what Joseph Gordon-Levitt did, you know, the role of Ryan Johnson just that, you know, thing. <laughs> you would have directed it better. <laughs> I can't say that. But I'm <laughs> <laughs> there was actually a lot of there was a lot of looper, there was a lot of looper conversation um, uh, on on Seven Nights Out. Uh, uh, I think Steve did that one with him too. Uh, and you know, one of the things, not to make this like all about being inspirational or or, or whatever, but um, you know, I, I, that's alluded to. I, I had a great experience on that set. It's small the role that I got to play in that film. Um, it was a great experience. And uh, one of the things I took away from Ryan was, you know, arguably he's at the top of his game right now, but he doesn't look at it that way, right? He looks at it as in like, how can I try this little thing that's going to make this that much better that maybe I don't even use in Knives Out or Star Wars Maybe I use it in 10 years on this, on this film. That's a completely different concept. Like, it's all about incremental growth. And I think that this goes back to, um, you know, loving the process of what we're doing more so than, than the end product, right? You know, Drew, loving- I'm so, by the way, what you're saying is so pertinent to me and Damien had our one on one session earlier. And, you remember when I was talking about this earlier, Damien, about just constantly, no matter how good you are, no matter what stage you are in your career or in your craft of whatever position that you are, to always try to push yourself to, you know, be better incrementally. So whether you're Ryan Johnson or whether you're Damien Daniels and you're starting out and you're trying to get established, uh, just always push yourself 
um, a little bit better, like make that audio better, make the lighting better for, better for your YouTube videos. We were talking about that specifically. That's why I use that as an example. But, you know, yeah. just like whatever you're doing, just try to, you know, push the needle forward a little bit, you know, just to constantly improve the recipe, you know. Does anybody know the story of uh, Margot Robbie, her, her journey? No, actually, I don't know how, how she... I don't know the whole thing, obviously, but um, I, I'm, I think she's a fantastic actor. Uh, I think she's one of the best actors in the industry right now. Uh, I think she is, um, you know, an actor to your earlier point that you can play a lot of different roles. Uh, I thought she was fantastic in Bombshell. Um, the only way she gets shown up at Top Shell is by Charlize Theron, who, you know, it's like, yeah. that was, a, you know, probably the only thing for me that could have shown up Joe Pesci this year was Charlize Theron and, in Top Shell. But anyway, she's a, she's a fantastically talented uh, actor. And, um, you know, like Google uh, Margot Robbie since she was 18 or something like that, like actually read her story and the way she's approached her career because it's really fucking inspirational. It, it really, really is. Um, uh, you know, whatever you want to say about her, um, she's, I just think she's a huge talent and also a pretty freaking humble human being uh, when it comes to that talent and all the other attention that she gets from So there's a lot of, Jason Bateman that I alluded to before is, is another great example of, um, I forget what award speech he used, struggling for the longest time as an actor um, and if it wasn't for um, Arrested Development which he got you know as, as a, an adult right um, he just auditioned for um, and if it wasn't for that that he might not have the career he has right now that it's not because he's just because he's a good actor and a good artist it's because he made the most of an opportunity and the point of part of the point of the speech um, was talking about there are thousands and thousands and thousands of you people out there who are really, really talented. And there's no difference between him and us. It's just about making the most of the opportunities and enjoying the journey along the way. And I, I really believe that because I wouldn't be doing this if I, if, you know, if, if I didn't really think that, that was the case. But it makes striving for that incremental growth, I think, a little bit easier when you, you think about it that way. Nice. Kelly, did were you trying to ask something earlier? Um, yeah. Um, I had a question kind of more about what it's like being on set. As an actor, what's your experience with dealing, say, with like the camera crew or the production uh, production assistant, people in charge of props? Because obviously on set you're going to deal with other actors and directors. How much do you actually deal with the entire crew? Um, so like when you're on set and, you know, you are anywhere close to actually rolling, you're not interacting as an actor, you're not interacting with those people a lot, to be honest with you. And part of the reason you're not interacting with them is because they're all doing way more important things than you are as an actor, right? Like before you roll action, it's chaos outside of, you know, your world. Um, it's, you know, they're running around trying to make everything perfect, adjusting to the lights, adjusting to hair and makeup, small camera tweaks, 
sound, you know, like, I mean, you know, there's just, there's hundreds and hundreds of people that go into a, a really good production and they're working really hard. So I don't talk to them at all. Unless they ask me something, they need to do something for me. I don't, I don't talk to them at, at all when we're actually on, uh, on set. Um, and that also works well for me because as I mentioned before, um, you know, I'm a weirdo and I like to get in character and I like to do a lot of, movie that I was talking about before called Cold Read, which hopefully will be released sometime now in LA, um, is a great example of this, where we would do like, you know, 10, 15 minutes of just improv. A lot of times they would roll on it without yelling action. We would just sort of get into our characters and start working. Um, and even when they're not rolling camera, I like to do that stuff if I have other actors who are receptive to it. So I'm really focused on that not necessarily interacting with the crew. But I will say this, um, uh, despite the fact that I make an effort to be somewhat of a different person in this walk of my life, um, you know, hopefully I seem like a nice enough guy today. I haven't always been a very nice guy. Um, I always sort of like had my head up my ass and thinking, you know, of the things in life were important and I had a different perspective on me and work and all this other shit in my, you know, my first, um, first couple of careers. And one of the things that burned me, um, that I wish I could, I could go back and do is how I treated the people that I worked with around me, not because I disliked them, but just because I was so focused on, you know, the work that I was doing, so important. It, you know, it has to be more important than anything else that anybody else is doing. So just like get out of my way and let's do it. Um, that will kill you in any walk of, uh, of film industry. But even more important than just being a good collaborator, uh, you can learn so much from these people who have these incredible skill sets, you know, whether it comes to a grip or wardrobe or you know sound design i mean um, a lot of you probably have skills within these areas that far surpass mine and every opportunity when i'm offset whether it be like at crafty or at a meal or in the van going back to um you know base camp or whatever like i try to talk to them as much as possible because the more as an, as an actor the more that i understand that world the better that I can integrate into this like organism that is, um, yeah, that is filmmaking, and uh, the quality of performance is only a small, it's only a modicum of the work that goes into actually creating a good TV or, or film project, and it's it's really the work that the rest of the crew does uh, that makes it makes it really sing. So I'm fascinated by them. I try to be as nice of a human being possible because I learned from my previous mistakes and they just have really important jobs so half the time I'm just trying to get out of the way. Yeah. 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 So perhaps we have time for one or two more questions. Thank um, you. Yeah. Courtney, are you trying to ask something? It looked like you wanted to say something so I wasn't sure. Oh no, I was just looking closer, my bad. Oh, okay, no problem. <laughs> Uh, how about you, Michael? Uh, oh, I was just going to mention that um, I didn't realize, well, two things. One thing is that I didn't realize Jason Bateman acted in Little House on the Prairie. Uh, Jason Bateman, right. by the way, got, uh, Michael, 
when I was a kid, he was on this show called the uh, the Hogan Family. If if I'm not mistaken, that's what it was called. Um, and yeah. it was something he was on a sitcom that I used to watch when I was a kid, and then his sister is an actress too, right? Yeah, yeah, Justine Bateman. In fact, I knew him as Justine Bateman's brother because Justine Bateman was on Family Ties from when I was a kid with, uh, yeah, yeah, with Michael J. Fox. Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was on. They were sitcom actors, you know. But then, you know, I guess there was like a period. There was a lull in his career, and. You know, it, it had been some years, so I guess Arrested Development was like a a big break back into the business and back into the spotlight. And, you know, you yeah, know. yeah. Okay. Steve Carell is another good example of that. Like, if you ever hear Steve Carell talk about, you know, the body of work that he did before before The Office, I mean, it, it's it's pretty incredible story, right? And talk about like, uh, you know, a, a gigantically talented human being, right? To just think that there are people like the way that I always think about it, I, I apologize I'm cutting you off, but I always think about it from the perspective of like Daniel Day Lewis is no longer acting. That seems like this huge vacuum in our world to me, right? Yeah. But I firmly believe that there are thousands of people out there who are just as talented, just awesome at, at what Daniel Day Lewis did as Daniel Day Lewis is or was. Still is, I'm sure you can come kill it. I'm going to run that part from one day and, and try to get him to, to act again. But um, it's about, it's the idea that there's a huge talent pool. Um, somebody needs to fill it, but there are also so many people of that, that skill set that don't have the opportunity to. Like that's kind of unfortunate, you know? Um, but you yeah, I trying. agree with you, man. Yeah, I think there's no shortage of talent. But at the same time, we just have to um, keep doing the work because, you know, I've, I've known people that I grew up with, just like I'm sure Drew has, just I'm sure that other people, have, you know, is where, you know, you know, people that are so smart, so capable. So, so, you know, they seem like they have so much natural talent, but then they're not really doing much with it. They're not really pushing themselves um, in any sort of way um, versus then, you know, there's other people that maybe they don't come across naturally like they have those things, but because they're, they have this incredible work ethic they're, they keep doing it and then they keep refining their process. That, that almost counts more in a way over time, because I think yeah. you will get good, you know, you will, you know, especially if you're focused and you're determined to do that, you know, and it's important to treat people well, like Drew, Drew was talking about a few minutes ago, yeah. in response to Kelly's question, because, um, you know, it's. I'm a huge uh, Kurt Vonnegut fan, as I as I mentioned before. I, I just finished writing the, the screenplay that's based on one of his one of his books, um, and he sort of famously said that he loved being a writer because it was one of the only professions where he knew he could be totally horrible at it the first time he wrote something, um, because there was so much time for him to learn how to write. And when you're a writer, you get to go over draft, over draft, over draft, over draft, that the finished product, you know, what we end up being when we're, you know, old and gray and still working in this industry, which I think is amazing as well, um, is really the culmination of, of who we are as artists or filmmakers. It's not necessarily about the quality work that we put out today when we're just starting. 
um, it's about what we can become. And, and obviously, Vonnegut's just like tongue-in-cheek, very satirical guy who's lovely self-deprecating, but it's totally true. Like, we work in a medium where we can fail. We can fail. As long as we, like, learn something from it and keep getting a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, you can really become great at something by simply by just continuing to do it, right? Continue to do it and, and getting better little by little. So. It's so important. All right. Well, on that yeah. note. Sorry, my, you did not I'm sorry. I, I, I think I caught Michael off a while back. Did you have a question? Oh, yes. I was going to ask you um, in response to you watching Ozark, this new season, um, how do you, have you watched it up to date and how do you, do you recommend it in comparison to the previous season? I have not started season three. I am um, I am uh, binging some other things right now, which I'm happy to talk about. They're kind of life-changing as well. But um, I haven't started season three. I'm really excited to do everything that my friends have told me um, has been really, really positive about the new season. Um, I haven't heard anything, heard anything bad about it. But um, I'm a huge fan of Ozark in general, so I'm happy. Have you watched the first two seasons? Yes. I was yeah. like blown away. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was really, really good. And I also thought that it was very, uh, you know, like they, they set a theme, they set a tone for it, and they stuck with it. And it wasn't necessarily like this theme and tone that they they knew was going to be successful. You know, just when you think about how they, how they lit this thing and the fact that they set it in the Ozarks, um, I think that that was, you know, there's some great decisions that were made, and I, I love when those kind of things pay off. Um, and I think uh, what's uh, what's the actress's name who plays Ruth? Um, she's I know what you're talking about. She's so good. Yeah, yeah. I looked her up because anyway, she's she's young, and I guess you know this was the first thing that she really did. But she's so good. She's fantastic. Yeah. I didn't watch season. I only watched the first couple of episodes of season two. There was a couple of things in the story that. Uh, I don't know. Just were off-putting to me that I couldn't, I couldn't get over. And, uh, um, yeah, plot just holes yeah. No, not not plot holes. It's just more like character things that just it bothered me so much that I'm like, I I can't handle that. Like you know, <laughs> it's like it's like. Can I, can I make a guess? Um, yes, make a guess. Or is this or does this have to be taken offline? <laughs> uh, no, no, mate. You can make a guess. There was one thing about the series that it, that almost made me stop watching it early on too. I'm just wondering whether or not it has anything to do with each other. Um, but so yeah, I'm no, ask if I yeah, take and, a guess. And has everybody seen it, or is there anybody who doesn't want a season one two spoiler? Should I, should I don't do. Uh, I don't watch TV shows. Oh, well, all right, so. By the way, maybe we should also do this because uh, we did this the other night at the Bronx Filmmakers Collective because right now it's after 10. So if anybody wants to stick around and, and sort of, uh, you know, talk about these non sequitur things, they can. But if somebody needs to leave, you know, for any reason, um, you guys could leave. Uh, all right. But who raise your hands if you do not want any spoilers for Ozark, then we won't talk about it. I'm not sure if I'll ever get to see the rest. Okay, so okay, so I guess we can't 
we'll talk offline about it, Drew. But you could probably right. guess. <laughs> you're you're a sharp guy. You could probably guess. And also, well, well, yeah. go, maybe we could hint around it. Character that there was one character that stuck out like a sore thumb for me that I just didn't. Yeah, I I, I didn't like really believe the their role in the, in the story. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll talk. Yeah. Next time we, we, yeah. Same, but, same here. Yeah. And there, there's a couple of dynamics between a couple of the main characters that I'm like, what? Like, are you serious? Yeah. Like how, how would yeah. you put up with that? <laughs> yeah. No, true. Um, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, I think, I think I try not to, I don't know. There, there's a lot of great, uh, pieces, projects that aren't perfect by any means, but um, they're just, you know, so good, or there's, or there's pieces of them that are so well done. Like, you remember the Kaleidoscope episode? I think it was um, towards the end of, of season one, where they, he tells, they tell the story in these little vignette scenes, and it's all, like, backstory to, to learn important things about the, about the main characters. Um, and, you know, it's, yeah. None of it's in linear fashion, but uh, it all, as a viewer, pieces together. And it the fact that they pulled it out of order in this, they call the episode Kaleidoscope. So if you want to look it up, uh, it's really easy to find. Uh, so they tell all these little vignette scenes out of order, but it perfectly, from my perspective, perfectly came together. Uh, and I had the experience that I was supposed to have. As, as a viewer and as a filmmaker, I was like, whoa, that's so cool. I want to find a way to take that and use it in something that, you know, I, I wrote. So I actually wrote um, the second half of the first act in this feature film, Lavago, that I just finished. It's totally in kaleidoscope fashion. It takes nice. the three main characters and you learn about their different backstory in, in like a very untraditional, you know, typically if you want to build uh, dramatic tension, you want to tell a linear story, right? Like Roy and Mary, Roy and Mary get married. Roy and Mary buy a house. They have great jobs. Oh, Roy loses his job. Then Mary loses her job. Then Roy gets cancer. Then Mary wants to kill herself. You know what I mean? Like it's a very sort of, right? And, and you sort of know what's coming, but what if you just start a scene where it's like, Roy's on his deathbed, right? And Mary's sitting there. You know what's going on between the two of them. You totally know what's going on between the two of them. You can tell if you have two good actors, you know what's going on. But then you write a scene where on his deathbed, she falls in love with him again, right? Like imagine the connection between two people where you could re-fall in love with your spouse on their deathbed. So you start a kaleidoscopic sequence with what happens at the end effectively and then you use all the other scenes that happen in their story life story to build dramatic tension pay it off build dramatic tension pay it off build dramatic tension pay it off and the final payoff because the end of the movie doesn't end right with with mary commit commit suicide the end of the movie ends with not to spoil it but i wrote it you probably never see it let's be honest the end of the movie ends with Mary saving the whole goddamn world, saving all of us. I want right? to see this, so man. This, this, this I want like to see that movie. Plot, yeah. Right? So it's 
to me, what makes Mary more interesting as a character is if you fucking hurt for her, you pain for her when she loses her husband. And when I saw that episode of Ozark, I thought, like, wow, that kaleidoscope is a way to get them, get the audience to empathize with a character in a completely different way that doesn't spoil where you want to take the character at the end anyway. Where I want to take Mary is to save the world, right? Her husband's dead, right? Her husband's not coming back. Vonnegut told me her husband's dead. I can't make him, I can't bring him back to life, but I can use that story in a, in a different way than just this linear dramatic tension to try to give the audience, the viewer, a different experience that maybe is more powerful and for some people maybe it doesn't work. But I love stealing from shit like that. And I think Ozark is a great example of you can watch some of these series and just nitpick, like, oh, I love the way they lit that. I love that set design. I love the, you know, the costume they in, in that. And then it just informs everything that they do. Drew, have yeah. you ever seen me before you? What's that? It's a lot like that. Sorry, I can barely hear you. Oh, yeah. Ryan, we can't. I'm sorry, Ryan. We can't hear you so well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, the the movie's called Me Before You. It um, it, what you're s- describing is a lot like that, except it's um, the M- Amelia Clark, um, like. Oh yeah, that's relatively recent, right? Yeah, it came out a couple of years ago. It's a okay. really good movie. Yeah. Cool. I'll have to check that out. I, I have not seen it, but I, I love Amelia Clark. Yeah, so. she's fantastic. Yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah, it's a very emotional film. I, you know, like, you know, it's about like she's she's trying to convince someone not to com- to not to commit suicide. Wow, I mean that's a heavy topic in and of itself. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. And it, it uses a similar um, non-linear sort of uh, scene structure, story structure. Well, I'm I'm not sure about nonlinear, but like, I mean, I mean, you see what happens to him that makes him want to kill himself. Then you see her, and then you see what what becomes of him. Like then, and you know, he's in a wheelchair. He's he's all depressed. Right. You know, his. Yeah, I don't want to spoil the movie. But okay. it, it's uh, it's 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 a, it's, a re- it's a really good movie. Nice. Yeah, we'll, no, I'll definitely check it out. I'll have to Thank look out for it. Well, well, I think yeah, we're gonna. It's not pretty linear, but you see the two stories. Yeah. Nice, Drew. I think we're gonna adjourn the meeting. Um, because I I I have to read a script tonight, and I have to do a bunch of work tonight, guys. Um, amazing having you on, and really appreciate you talking about acting and the craft and your process and you know perhaps we'll have you on again sometime to talk more about screenwriting because drew also does a lot of screenwriting which he's mentioned a little bit and um so we'll talk even you know but either way this was awesome man so thank you and thank you to everybody that joined the meeting and asked questions thanks i appreciate you giving me the opportunity Jeff, and and thanks for listening it was a lot of fun Great question. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. And uh, have, a good night. have a good night, everybody. Stay good safe. Night. Have a good night. Good night. I'll put the audio <laughs> up for you guys uh, within the next couple of days and send you the link. And appreciate everybody joining. And thanks again to Drew being so gracious. Thanks, guys. Time. Take care.
All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs>